to make life interesting. My name is Tracy Tooley, and I'm the lead pastor of Regeneration Church in Huntington, West Virginia. And I want to say thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to today's podcast. Whether you are working out, whether you're at work, whether you're mowing the lawn, whether you're running, whether you're you were just looking for something to listen to and you stumbled upon us, or maybe you're a regular listener. Either way, wherever you are, whoever you are, we are so grateful that you're a part of our discussion. And I can't wait for you to be a part of our discussion today. What you're going to be hearing today is what we call a table talk. It's an opportunity that I take on Sunday mornings sometimes to speak about a particular issue or a particular topic, something that we face in the world, maybe something that you face in the world. And, and it, it, it's an opportunity for us to talk about it, to get a biblical scriptural view of it, and, and really just have open conversation. Sometimes I'll interview somebody. Sometimes we'll, we'll uh, get questions and get discussion from the people that are there as a part of the crowd there on a Sunday morning. But it's just an opportunity for us to speak into an issue or let God speak into us about a particular issue. What you're going to hear today is a table talk between myself and Andy Nip. Andy Nip is a part of our church. He's a regular attender, a guy who is, man, super educated. He, he has some great experience, especially on the topic today, and that's racial injustice. It was an awesome opportunity for us to have this table talk because it fell on Juneteenth. Juneteenth is a holiday that the black community celebrates, and you're going to hear some about that and, and why they celebrate, why it's important. But you're also going to hear us talk about just racial injustice and what some people in the black community deal with. And um, we're going to be really speaking honest and authentic and open and transparent about the church and the church's role in racial injustice and, and how the black community feels about the church. And Andy, who is a part of the black community, has some great insight. He's going to say some things that will maybe make you feel uncomfortable, but it's all great discussion. It's all stuff that I believe helped us as a church um, allow God to open our eyes and open our hearts to some things. And, and I hope that some of the things that you will hear will make you feel uncomfortable because sometimes change can't happen until we feel uncomfortable. So man, take a listen. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to this and helping us make life interesting. The Civil War ended April 1865. But in the farthest southern borders of the Confederacy, fighting was still taking place. And even though in 1863, January of 1863, even though Abraham Lincoln had given the Emancipation Proclamation, in the farthest reaches of the South, slavery was still going on. In the North, slaves were beginning to be set free. There was beginning to be um, right that was done because of that wrong. But in the farthest reaches of the South, the word hadn't gotten out yet. 
And so in June of 1865, General Gordon Granger, he was leading a Union occupation force, and he went to Galveston, Texas, and he announced there to kind of let the word go from there, and then they would spread out. He announced that the enslaved people in the United States were now free. But here's the problem. Even though there were some people that had already been emancipated in the North, the word in the South had not gotten there yet. And so there were people still being enslaved. And this was two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. The announcement um, that came was an announcement that actually urged freed men and freed women. These were the slaves who were now free. It was urging them to stay with their former owners, but kind of experience the blessing of being in a labor slash work relationship with the people who had enslaved them. So what, what was going to happen was in this announcement, the general order number three as read by General Granger said, the people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. Now keep in mind, context. This is being said two years after it had already happened. He, he says that this, this involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves, and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. So these men and women were set free, and then the expectation was that the people who had enslaved them were going to now hire them. And they were urging, through this general uh, order, they were urging slaves to stay and work for the people who had enslaved them. That didn't go over very well, really on either side. Because when you think about it, if you believe that you owned property and now you've got to pay for it, are you going to like that? No. And if you were on the receiving end as a slave of violent treatment from those who had enslaved you, do you now want to work for them? No. Good thought, good intentions, you know where the road of leads to. Some of you might. I don't know if everybody, some, some have been enlightened to that. But um, what happened from this general order was known as the scatter. And what happened was that most freed people didn't want to stay in this situation. And so they scattered and they began to leave and head north to find family members or to just really start a new life, whatever that meant for them. Now, freedom created other problems. And, and listen, one of the reasons that Juneteenth is celebrated is because Juneteenth was um, the day, June 19th in Galveston, Texas, is when finally word got out everywhere that the, the slavery was over. And so that's why black people celebrate Juneteenth. It's why it's become important. It's why it is, is recognized now. Um, Biden last year um, made it a federal holiday. And that's why now we recognize that this was kind of like the final word after the final word. But I would question, maybe not physically, but mentally, emotionally, is does there need to be another final word? That could maybe be a discussion for another time. Um, Juneteenth celebrations began to, to go for decades, but even after this general order was given, 
there was still violence going on. Even though these freed men were and freed women were, were free, some of them, as they tried to leave, were beaten, they were lynched, they were still murdered. Um, Susan Merritt, a, a former enslaved person, said that they would catch them swimming across the Sabine River and shoot them because they were trying to get away. So even though freedom had been proclaimed, were they really free? Texas was the first state to declare Juneteenth a state holiday in 1980, and other states began to fall in, in, in suit with that. And then in 2021, last year, um, President Biden made it a holiday, and that was the first new federal holiday since Reagan made Martin Luther King Day a holiday. Now, we can see why. Juneteenth, Juneteenth is important. And as we were talking about table talks and different things, and, and this was the first topic that came to mind because Juneteenth falls on today, on a Sunday. So we felt like, um, should we let it pass without saying something about it? Because this is not planned, but one of the things that, that I think sometimes black people can feel, um, why they feel like the church doesn't care is things like Juneteenth and, and other things, when they happen, the church doesn't always recognize it. And we don't always speak about it, meaning we're not speaking to get an answer for it. We just don't recognize it. We've been guilty of that. And, and I want us to do better at, at recognizing when things happen. And, and it's one of those things, again, that, that just guidelines that we set last week. Um, and if you didn't get to watch last week's um, table talk with Joey Crawford, I, I thought it went really well. And, and there was good discussion and I think questions that came from it. We talked about what happened in Uvalde, Texas, and, and, and um, it was, it was good. And same thing that we talked about last week, I want to have for today. Um, this is not an opportunity for us to become political. I believe we can have as a church voice, uh, a voice in politics, but we don't need to, uh, to do that. But if we're going to continue to strive to see how we can educate ourselves and do what we can to become more of a, uh, of a diverse group of Christ followers, then Discussions like this with this issue needs to be something that should be important to us. And, and there's no intent, there's no ulterior motive. It's just us being Christ followers that want to be able to seek out what God desires for us. And foundation of everything, Matthew 16, 16. Remember, Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. That's what the world needs to hear from us as a church. That's the foundation. Everything needs to filter through that. But we can't become so focused on evangelism that it makes us almost feel like our heads are in the sand and we're ignoring social injustice. And, and I think sometimes with good intentions, maybe because it's, we don't know how to talk about it or, or whatever, but I don't know if the church has always done a very good job of handling social injustice. When... We're following one of the greatest, if not the greatest champion of social injustice, and that's Jesus. And we're going we're to talk about that. You're going to see Andy uh, has some interesting comments. And I'm just going to tell you right up front, there's going to be a couple times we're going to pause and I'm going to get your opinion on things. But he's, I, I watched these, looked over him again last night, and he brings up some very good things. 
and not in a I'm trying to cause a problem way. Just uh, ways that as Christ followers, we need to think about them. Now, one of the things I've learned over the last couple of years is that for change to happen, for racial reconciliation to really begin, it has to start by listening. It says in James chapter 1 in the New Testament that we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And it even says in the Old Testament, Proverbs 18, I've been guilty of this. He who answers before listening, that is, that is his folly and shame. And I believe the church has been really quick to want to wade into stuff without knowing anything that's going on. And we just want to wade in with a Jesus flag and think that everything's going to be fine and everything's going to go away. And what happens is we usually push people farther away from the church, farther away from Jesus than we do drawing them in. And over the last couple of years, I've had some very hard conversations. And a couple of them is all I did was sit and listen. And it was hard. And it, it helped give me some insight and made me literally do some insight. We can't just be quick to just speak and just blab. And, and don't, don't get me wrong, leading with the gospel is what we should do, but we need to learn how to apply it well and speak it well. Know when to speak, when not to speak, when to listen. And um, I thought it would be good to have Andy. Andy wanted so much to be here, but he had already committed uh, to go and help lead worship with a friend in Dayton that had been wanting to come for a while. And so we got together and said, hey, it was important enough that today's the day. And instead of doing it next week and say, hey, we're talking about last week, we wanted to do it today to be relevant. Now, I know when sometimes people use the word relevant, that means they're not. But... Um, I've really felt like we needed to do this today. And so uh, Andy's a part of our church family. Um, and here's the thing, I'm just gonna be honest. White people don't always need to be leading the conversation about black people stuff. And that's not a cut towards anybody. But Andy's got experience and he's got some things that he's gonna say that I have no clue about. So for me to try to talk about it, but Andy can. So let's let Andy introduce himself. So I'm Andy Nip, um, born and raised in Ironton, Ohio. Uh, I grew up, I was adopted when I was about 18 days old. My biological mom's sister adopted me. Um, so the people that I call mom and dad are biologically my aunt and uncle. Um, all-white family, um, when graduated from Rock Hill High School, was born and raised Southern Baptist. Like, I, I attended a Southern Baptist church until I was uh, actually to the end of my end of high school. Um, then I started going to a Christian church on Greenup. I, I've gone to Christ Temple for a little bit as well. Um, and then I eventually... Uh, found my way here. Um, I don't know how long I was here. It wasn't very long. You guys were still at the coffee house. Uh, moved to Dayton. Uh, still kind of like doing like Christian music throughout the whole thing. Like that's kind of how I got my music chops, I guess. Um, 
And yeah, so I, I grew up Baptist, as I'm sure you know, they just pound scripture in your head. So I always grew up knowledgeable about the Bible, very much able to talk to people about the Bible, never really an issue. Um, it probably wasn't until I got to, uh, I, I, w I would say probably when I got here, by no fault of you guys, was probably the start of my like backing away from religion, the church, whatever, just due to a, a multitude of things in my own life, but also like just in the world and what I think the church's response to it was. So. You heard him say there that Andy honestly is at a place where he's questioning his faith. And I would dare say more so than questioning faith, which he is, but he's really questioning the church more than he is questioning his faith. And, and to be honest with you, it depends on what day you talk to him. But he, um, he has some questions and, and he has specific views about the church. And a lot of those things have been influenced by how the church has treated him. He describes his uh, view of the church here in this next video. As I started pulling away from the church, it was very much a conscious thought of, if this is what the re if this is if this was supposed to be the representation of God through His people, then I don't want anything to do with it, like at all. Um, if if people are supposed to be Christ-like and God-following and all these things, if all of the stereotypes about this group of people are things that I'm experiencing then, yeah, I don't, that's not really a guy that I want to follow. Um, so, like, in, in terms of race, um, uh, I guess it was more of a, like, there were definitely experiences that I had when I was younger and experiences that I had, like, even just growing up that if, if, if this is the representation of God, like, I don't even know if, I'm not even convinced that God wants me around all that much. More so when I was younger, the older I got, the more I didn't believe that aspect of it, but it was definitely a thought when I was a kid. So, Part of the reason he's been very hesitant and almost against the church is because of how the church is because of the church and how the church has handled race. And I, I don't remember if he says it distinctly in our conversation as we were video. He said he has had racial encounters even within the church. And so it's no wonder that he's, if this is who's supposed to be representing Jesus and God our Father, it's no wonder he doesn't want anything to do with it. Just have to be honest. Um, as he's lived seeking Jesus, his personal experience being biracial has been something he's had to deal with. And, and this is perspective that uh, uh, we'll never know. But listen, listen to what he says here. Growing up biracial uh, does present its own unique experience. Um, like <clears throat> some, sometimes it feels as though I'm, I'm too black for white people, but also I'm too white for some black people. And it's, it's a really weird dynamic. Um, I, I, I definitely know that I've never been made fun of for, uh, I've, I've never, I've never experienced 
being too white. You get what I mean? Uh, discrimination has never happened because I was too white. Um, but in terms of like how I grew up, there was, there is always this, there was always this side of me that like, I know I'm not like everyone else, but why? And if I'm not, if I'm not this, what is this? And so that's when I like kind of, I, I, my biological father and my biological mom actually was always in my life. Um, like I said, my biological mom was my aunt, so she was always just Aunt Sherry. My biological dad was just a family friend that just kind of came and went. Uh, and so when I found out who my biological parents were, like this was now my chance to get to know this other half of me that I, nobody could figure out or I couldn't figure out because there was no one around to help me. Um, so with that being said, there is, there was always that aspect of like something, something about me is missing and trying to act almost, I almost acted out, uh, because I couldn't figure out what it was and no one else around me is a person of color. So how can they help? It, you know, there, there's the, the, the tension between white and black, but then there's an added tension for Andy because he's not enough white enough for white people, some people, and then he's not black enough for some black people. So he's trying to find his place. And even within the church, that can be a, a hard tension for him. And, and this is an example. What he's talking about is an example of one of the things we always talk about of how the devil can't create anything, but he'll manipulate everything. Without listening and educating ourselves, we sometimes let our pride or our arrogant approach to the gospel get in the way of building bridges. And because of this, we sometimes turn people away from the church, people who, like Andy, are just looking for somewhere to belong. Does that make sense? When you strip everything away, really what he wanted was he was, especially when he was younger, he was just looking for some place to belong because he really didn't fit in. Take away the race part of it. He didn't fit in with this race. He didn't fit in with this race. And, and so he's in a totally different group, but then he would go to the church and then sometimes be made to feel like he doesn't belong there. And it pushed him away instead of help pulling him towards the church. So we were talking and, and I jumped right into the deep end and I asked his thoughts on the, uh, the events that happened in 2020. And um, this whole idea of race and racial reconciliation and discussion, it really became forefront. I mean, besides COVID, you mean we all remember 2020, there was COVID, but besides COVID, there was George Floyd. And, and I asked him, what was your opinion, the church and George Floyd? And, and, and I asked him to share his thoughts on that. And he, he's got some really good things to say uh, about that. My first thought, because I think everyone's first experience was to watch the video. Um, and although there's always a part of me that's like heartbroken, like eventually you kind of get like desensitized to black death which is not a good thing to say, but it kind of is what it is. Um, when I watched it, my first thought was, holy cow, like, 
how is this person so, how is Derek Chauvin so comfortable with his knee in someone's neck? How is he comfortable like this? Um, and whether you make the argument that like, how, like, how can you say I can't breathe while you're screaming? Like, who, who cares? This man, this, why is your knee in this man's neck? You know, um, why, why are there police stopping? Like, why are police allowing this? How is this a, a how is this just a thing? You know, um, and I think from the church, um, <clears throat> sometimes I think because the church is almost segregated in a way, like, like it's probably the most segregation that happens is on Sunday mornings, right? Um, I think a lot of quote unquote white churches or churches that don't have diversity can almost separate themselves from it because most, there's a lot of church people that don't know a George Floyd. I know a lot of George Floyds. Like, whether you want to label him as a drug addict, whether you want to label, however you want to label him, I know a lot of George Floyds. Some people in the white church don't know any. And I think that's what allows them to separate themselves from it. One of the, one of the things that, the couple things that he says there, one that just stood out was if you don't have a lot of diversity in your church, it's easy to just separate yourself and not let it affect you. And I think sometimes that's why the church doesn't always look to have a voice. That's no excuse. To me, in a lot of ways, it should make us look at times at how we can search harder for how we can have a voice. But you, you can't just sit back and say, well, we're an all-white church, so we should just really... For God so loved the... So who's in the world? And it doesn't really do any good for us as a church to say, well, we're all white and we're not really a part of that world. I mean, I think that same thing applies to, well, we, we, we're not homeless, so we don't know what they go through. And so, well, we don't, you know, eh, well, if we're going to be people who are living in experiencing the gospel, the gospel is for God so love the world. He also um, mentioned that uh, church on Sundays pretty much segregated. Uh, Martin Luther King said it's appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And he said that in the 60s, and we're almost 60 years removed, and it's still true. And I think that should cause us to, to want to... What can we do to, to keep that from happening? Because that kind of segregation, it flies in the face of what Jesus prayed for in John 17. Jesus said, my prayer is not for them alone. He was praying for his disciples specifically. But he said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they, meaning us, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May, may they be brought to complete what? Say that word one more time. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. 
I would say that division and disunity, especially within the church, is sin because it is the opposite of what Jesus prayed for. And it should break our heart that we are not living out the answer to Jesus' prayer. And that's not just when you start talking about disunity in the church. It's not just denominational. Oh, we should hate that there's Baptists and Methodists and there's not much racial diversity in our churches. Paul wrote in the New Testament in Ephesians 4, this is what we should be striving for, not just within us, but he said, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Can we honestly say that we're making every effort to do that? Listen as as Andy continues. Oppression creates culture. Um, there are th- the reason the black community or the black experience and culture exists is because of the oppression that we've experienced from since before this country was founded. Um, so as segregation, as slavery ended, and you know, obviously we have like uh, segregation, we have Jim Crow and all these different things. There's other cult- there's things that develop in these segregated communities. One of those things is going to be how church operates. Black people didn't know what church was, quote unquote, supposed to be because we weren't allowed there. So what are things that have stayed steady throughout our history? Well, music, dance, lots of rhythm. You know what I mean? Like uh, the way that we uh, talk to each other, how we get information, like all of these things just played a part in the formation of the black church. Hmm. Um, for Caden's, um, um, I forget what the name of it is, his, his senior project for college, he filmed his film, Exodus 2320. And um, part of it he filmed in a little Methodist church right around the corner from our house in Fraser's Bottom. And that church has been there for I don't know how many hundreds of years. Uh, it's an amazing little church, got a cemetery around it. Broke my heart about that church because when you first walk in the door, it was a Methodist church, still is. So if you are familiar with old Methodist churches, they some of them have the bell up there and they got the rope that hangs and you can, you know, the Methodist church I grew up in, they had that and it was always a thrill for me to go and I get to ring the bell, you know, and I'm, I'm pulling this big rope, you know. Um, broke my heart in that church because there was a little like ladder thing and a thing up in the ceiling that you could go up in the cubby hole and that's where the black people had church almost like in the attic away from the white people down on the main floor. I also can't disagree with the rhythm party he was talking about. You can tell when you're at a white church when you start to clap. Andy and I joked about that because it's like, it's too bad we're not, too, we're not seeking to be in rhythm with the Holy Spirit. Because I think he would guide us into this unity that I think God, I don't think I believe that God desires for us. I asked Andy why there's not more being done or why racial reconciliation in unity unity doesn't always seem to be priority in the church. And here's what he said. Fixing systemic issues is messy. 
uh, talking about a long, horrific history is messy and it's super uncomfortable. Like, talking about race is not necessarily a, a comfortable feeling, um, but like, I have to think about race in every interaction I have, whether it be with police, whether it be, I work in sales. I have to consider my blackness in this interaction. Can I really be myself or do I have to code switch a lot? Do I have to almost assimilate in a way to make this customer comfortable to a degree? Fine, but like, these are everyday things that I have to think about and it's not comfortable. So for a lot of people, if you don't have to think about it, why would you? if it's uncomfortable, like I wouldn't, you know? Um, but I don't have that privilege to not think about it and not actively engage in it. And I think a lot of people who do the whole, well, let's just pray about it and it eventually goes away. Well, you can do that because you're not actively experiencing it really ever, unless, until it's brought to your attention. And then we can just pray about it. Well. Let me get some input from you. What do you think about that when he says, we'll pray about it? What, what, what did you take from that? What, give, me, give me a response from you. Shameful? What is it? Oh. because sometimes that's just our default. And here's the thing about it is I, I believe that we can get very comfortable when the devil convinces us that sometimes we've done something when we realize there's a problem and then we go so far as to pray about it. And I'm not saying that prayer isn't important, but what I'm saying is, is that sometimes we need to step up and be the answer to the prayer we're praying. Because sometimes we can feel like we've done something because we've recognized there's something. And sometimes instead of saying, oh, Lord, please let somebody do something. If we stopped and paused for a minute and maybe just listened, maybe he would be asking us to be a part of the group that's doing something. But as Andy said, and he's honest, it's freaking hard. It's messy. But as we've talked a lot well, Jesus didn't run away from the mess. I mean, we need to do something. Listen, listen to Andy here. I think this, is, this was really good. When Jesus went into the temple and he like started flipping tables because people were being taken advantage of, he didn't walk outside and pray about it. He could have, fine. I'm sure he would have been justified, but he started kicking people out and he made a whip out of like, sharp rock and whatnot, like he, he kicked people. There was action. When he, when he prayed before his death, he didn't just pray and like, oh man, I pray the sins of the Lord forgiven. Nah, like there was things that happened, you know? Prayer without action really means nothing to me. Did you catch that last line? Prayer without action really means nothing to me. 
I don't know if you noticed it, depending on who you're friends with on Facebook and things, but man, there was such an outcry against all the people who posted after Uvalde saying that they were praying. And there were a bunch of people going, you know, we're just really tired of hearing you pray and hearing you say you're going to pray, but yet you're not really doing anything. And you had the people responding to that, wanting to, you know, wade in with the flag and make it political. But it, it's not, it's truth. I was going to say, sometimes it feels like it's like self-comfort thing. Like some people just say it because they're like, oh, you know, and they just, I'm going to pray for you, but really it's like, it doesn't really help the other person. It's just helping. Yeah. And, and that's the problem is something needs to be done, but yet we do something to help ourselves, but not to the people who are really hurting. Oh, yeah. It, 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 yeah, it's the way to close out the conversation and get to something else, which is, well, I'll just be praying for you. And um, th th his comment sounds a little bit like James 2, verse 17 in the New Testament. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. I've been really guilty of, at times, saying, I'll pray. I'll, let's just pray. When really, I could be praying while I'm helping be the solution. And again, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray, but sometimes, and let's just be honest, you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have to nod, because I don't want anybody to self-incriminate themselves, but it's easier to pray than to actually do something. With some of these topics, it's easier to pray and thank God, lead somebody. Thank God Tracy's willing to face those things. And I appreciate that, that you're praying for me, but I don't like to stand there by myself while I'm facing these things. Let's let Andy continue. I, I think a lot of the church, I, I guess the idea of like the American church has this weird idea that like, if you talk about an issue and sprinkle enough Jesus on it, that the issue's fixed. And to someone like myself, that's kind of laughable. Um, if everyone in America woke up tomorrow morning and they individually was no longer racist, like, the 330 million people in America, no one was racist individually. Systemic racism still exists because there's a history of oppression. There were, there were and are systems in place that disadvantaged people of color. And so while individual racism and acknowledging your unconscious implicit biases or prejudices or whatever, while those things, while that is an important thing to do, uh, these are active systems that people are fighting against. Um, and while acknowledging the, the privilege and the biases you may have, that is just the beginning of a whole history of oppression. And that's hard. That's hard. It is, because again, it takes some serious listening and then action. And I believe it also, it takes some ownership. And, and, I, and I'm not saying that any of us sitting here are racist or have any of those kinds of tendencies, okay? But we have to understand that we, we have to drop our pride and be willing to say that there were white people before us who were racist and they did some horrible things to black people. And that's not saying that you're white, you're racist. It's just saying that there were white people 
who did that kind of stuff. And, and it, you've heard the phrase, a couple apples spoils the whole bunch, a couple rotten apples spoils the whole bunch. Well, if you think about it, it's no wonder that some black people, some, some other races look at white people and they think that all white people are like that because the only examples they've had are the bad ones. And when we uh, don't step up, we don't stand up and do something, then who represents us? All the bad ones. And, and he's not saying that, man, it'd be awesome if, if everybody woke up tomorrow and all 330 Americans, there were no racist thoughts at all. And we were all loving. And if, if you were old enough to remember the Coke commercials where if, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony and we all drank Coke, if that, that would be awesome. But just honestly, we can't live in a, an amazing non-racist future without understanding how far we've come. Does that make sense? You can't really live out the solution if you're not willing to own the problem. And I say that as a pastor. Next week, we're going to talk about some of this from the church standpoint. Um, the, the church has to have some ownership. Because if you start looking back, there were leaders in churches, there were pastors who were slave owners. And to me, why wouldn't um, the church want to do something to change that perception? I mean, as a pastor, I, I need to carry some of the shame of that. I didn't do it, never have, never will, but I carry that over my head as a pastor because other pastors did that. Does that make sense? And so I think for us as, as, as white people, sometimes we need to, to say, yes, there were white people who did that. And it's not us, but shouldn't it shame us that white people did that? It's not fair, and Andy's going to talk about it here in a minute. It's not fair that people want to blame all black or all white people for it, because I didn't do it, but I should be willing to say, but yes, white people did, and I'm so sorry for that. And what can I do to help change that perception? I mean, the thought of somebody who was called to ministry, to be uh, someone who carries the gospel of Jesus Christ, to know that somebody who made that commitment was willing to enslave someone, which to me goes totally against the gospel. And I remember listening to a podcast where a guy was talking about how there were actually ministers in this country who had slaves, but yet were willing to speak out about the injustice of black people in Africa and other countries. And it's like, where does that, where, how does that? And I'm not trying to make anybody here feel guilty at all. I mean, if you feel something, I pray that's the Holy Spirit working in you. But I just want us to have this open discussion and try to have an understanding of how Andy feels and how the devil has manipulated this to keep us from really understanding that there's a problem. And, and there's no quick fix to it. It's a process and it's a journey that we need to walk together in Christ where we're led by the Holy Spirit and we're letting the, the, the word of God guide us in it. But we've, we've got to be willing to, to own it. Listen, listen to, to Andy. I think the American church just has always had the privilege of not having to worry about it. And I think if, if, 
if people start thinking about the past and about how the church was involved in these things, there's still that element of almost guilt. And now like, these are other, th- now there's a whole plethora of things we have to acknowledge. And it's just, it's a hard thing to do. And he uses a word there that we're going to take another leap and get a little bit deep. Okay. So just be prepared because this is one of the things that we don't always like to talk about, but we're not going to go at it at the way you might think, but listen to what Andy says here, because I asked him specifically about this. White privilege is just that as a white person, you get to live your life without the issue of race being a hurdle, either in your non-success or your success. So before we let him respond more, what do you think about that? Because I've been, I've been on the end of some conversations when it comes to white privilege. And, and it's one of the things that the devil will manipulate. And this is a safe place. So what, what? I know I wouldn't have the same opportunity if I was black. Like it's impossible to know, like as a person who is not a different race, what it would be like if I was. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what would be different in my life. And by that same statement, it supports that we can't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that gives us, it, we have the comfort to never know that. What I was going to say is that even though I have experienced some racial prejudice like in high school and things like that from my dad's side, like this, all these things, it's like, Listen, listen to what Andy says here. I think people, people's introduction to white privilege kind of started uh, back in like the Trayvon Martin uh, moments. Um, and it was introduced as the idea that like white people almost have it easy in America. Um, and that is not the case whatsoever because no one has it easy 
unless you were born uh, with an elaborate amount of resources. No one has it easy. Um, but I think a lot of white people's introduction was, well, you're white, so you have it easy. Oh, you're white, uh, you already have a lot of money. And if you don't have a lot of money, well, it's because you're not one of the good white people. And it's just, it's just a weird thing. Um, whether it's good or bad, like black people also may not, let me think that some black people may not be the best at articulating some things because at the end of the day, we're still people. Um, and some are better at articulating and some are not. Um, but yeah, most white, I think a lot of white people's introduction to white privilege is just, well, your life is easy because you're white. And the obvious response to that is my life's not easy. Well, of course it's not, because it's not what privilege is. I mean, I, I love what he says, because one of the problems, I think, with some of this, and I'm not discounting that there are racist people. There are racist people in the world. There are racist people in the church. But, but one of the things I think is the challenge, and, and, and challenge is positive, problems negative. One of the problems is we're broken people, and sometimes we don't articulate well. And sometimes we're too prideful to sit down and really try to listen. We just want to jump and make excuses or we want to jump and, and, and give answers. And, and I love, I mean, I love Andy. I mean, Andy, if you get to know Andy and hopefully you will, cause he's told me give my information out there. And he's at church most Sundays. Um, he's been helping with worship some. He is never afraid to have a discussion. Is he Mike ever trust me? And he would sit and talk for hours. Um, Oh yeah, and he does. He 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 listens. Doesn't look at you and go, "That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard." Because I've said some things to him that are, I I know when they're coming out of my mouth, they probably sound pretty stupid. But he's willing to say, "No, that's you know." Sometimes, sometimes he'll tell me it's stupid, but he knows me well enough that I don't get offended. But um, but I love how he he said, you know, it's it, nobody's really had it easy. There may be different degrees of how difficult your life has been, but at the same time, I, I love what he said that honestly, the majority of us who are white have never had, it's privilege enough just to not have had to worry about some of these things, but we've never had somebody tell us that. Does that make sense? And sometimes I think it's just pride. We need to get out of the way. And sometimes when people are talking about this, they're not talking about how, well, you know, cause I've had people have it mentioned to them about white privilege and they automatically want to go to, well, I've worked for everything I had. I didn't, I, I didn't have nothing and I worked and I slaved and I'm like, bad word of course, but it's like, that's not really what they mean. It's just that a lot of the things that we as white people have been able to experience and I'll be honest, been blessed with, not everybody's had that. Some black people have not had that. And maybe it's, it's not a bad thing to think about how we can change some of those things. And I think that term in itself is so incredibly politically charged. Amen to that. Amen to that. some of the politics in this situation is going to be very hard. Andy made the point, and I agree with him, and you know, it's very messy. 
was very messy because you got political leaders pushing one agenda, which, uh, you know, it, it depends on which side of the political coin you want to look at this. And we shouldn't, but that's reality. You got your political leaders pushing one agenda and the same issue from another scenario will be looked at 180 degrees opposite. So the, the, the politics just makes, takes a messy situation and turns it completely into almost unmanageable. Hey, I'm going I'm to be honest with you. From a pastor point of view, and this is not on anybody here on purpose. Um, it, in, in 2020, during COVID, George Floyd stuff, they, there were idiots in the church. That, that I think they led more with their politics than they did the Holy Spirit. And, and we're supposed to be Christ followers that happen to be. So there's nothing wrong if you want to lean towards Republican or Democrat or uh, Independent or Libertarian or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But you can't let an ideology guide your spirituality. And that's what happens and we've had so many people who, and, and, okay, I'm just going to be, one second, just be patient. I don't believe that Trump is God's chosen son. I don't believe Biden is either. You know who was? Jesus. And there are so many people in the world that they're more, I'm a Trump follower more than I'm a Christ follower. I don't know how you've not been disappointed yet. And it breaks my heart because there have been people that have been pushed away from Jesus because of what Bill said, politics. And let's see, we talked earlier about unity. Let's go on before I say something I don't like. If I walk down the street and I am seeing someone getting robbed and violently robbed, like beat up, if I don't do anything, I am now, even though I'm not hurting the person getting robbed, I am aiding the robber by not doing anything. If I help, I'm helping the person that's being victimized. If I don't help, I'm helping the victimizer. And I think the same thing about race and the thing, same thing about social issues. So when I say not doing anything is a stance in, in and of itself, well, you may not be doing anything and you not doing anything is allowing that oppression to continue. It's gonna... the, um, this statement, doing nothing is actually doing something. I don't believe the church can exist as a church if we're going to sit around and just watch everything happen and not do anything. I think we have to use discernment on how we wade into it, but I, I, I just can't. Let's go on. Let's listen to Andy again. Um, I, I will always make the argument that Jesus 100% would be on the side of basic human rights. Um, 
I, I think regardless of whether he considered us uh, considered it a sin or not, um, Jesus was not one to force his ideology or force what became his religion on anyone else. Um, he let the one teacher walk away after saying, you know, you have to give up everything to follow me. Guy walked away and Jesus didn't follow him or beg him or harass him. Like, okay, cool. That's what it is. Um, so I do think Jesus would be on the same, would be on the same side on basic human rights. I think he would be an active supporter of things like BLM and, um, police reform and these sort of things. In Luke, um, for Jesus stands up in the synagogue in Nazareth and he reads from Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Does that sound like Jesus did nothing? I mean, honestly, I mean, we need to follow his example. Let's go on. I think the, the first step with any thing is to humble yourself enough to know that I don't know everything, myself included. Like, I know, I would like to think I know a lot about like racial issues, but like, I, I learn things all the time. Um, so that's definitely one. Um, also, like, educate yourself. Um, one of the things that like I tell people is that that you might run into some black people that, or just people of color, that don't want to talk about their oppression because it's not their job to educate you on their oppression. However, if you do run into some that, or that you're close enough to, because you're, gen because you're genuinely wanting to know like, with their thoughts and feelings, if they're open to talking about it, listen. Um, and understand that the things they're saying, although it may hurt and may make you uncomfortable, they're giving you their actual experiences all the time. Like, um, and then also like find, find some authors, find some commentators, find some, uh, find some people that actively talk about these issues as well. Um, I'd be more than happy to give resources, um, there's there's documentaries on it. There's books on these issues. Um, information is out there. It's just a matter of do you want to put the time in. Um, but I, I do think the the most important part is to when you hear or feel or know that racism is going on, be the one to say something at all times, regardless of how uncomfortable or small or anything. Uh, if people know that you don't accept those sorts of things around you, then eventually, or the hope is, these thoughts and ideologies go into their own little enclave that matter, that don't matter at all. Um, the less races there are, uh, probably for the better. Hmm. One of the things that when you get to know Andy, um, he's not just saying this stuff because he just wants to say things. I mean, he does want to be a part of the solution. And he has some thoughts about what might help, but he's not one to press things on you. And when, and, and when, he, when, he, when you hear him say BLM, he stressed many times when we were talking Black Lives Matter, he was talking about the movement and not the organization. 
because he's the first one to agree that the organization part kind of skewed what the movement was all about. Same thing happens with the church. The church has sometimes skewed the gospel. And Christianity is not supposed to be a religion. It's supposed to be a movement to share what God did through Jesus to change the world. But the organizational part, I've talked to many people, and maybe you have, that I just don't like, like organized religion. And I love that because sometimes that's a point for me to agree with them because I'll tell them I don't either. And then they get this weird look because like, well, you're a pastor, aren't you? Well, and we have to work through that. But... Here's what I want to do. Uh, we, we, we got a couple minutes here. I want to um, call Andy. And I don't know if you have any questions. Um, Barton, you're going to have to unlock your phone. 4931. Everybody hear that? <laughs> and that's, that's going out everywhere. That's not my bank account. <laughs> 4931. <laughs> okay. All right. And, and we're going to call Andy. And um, we're going to get, uh, if you've got a question that you would like to ask him, um, we will, um, all right, how, okay, how you calling this thing? There we go. All right. Um, this is an Android, so I'm not, I'm not familiar with the dark side. Um, <laughs> all right. All right, let's get this. Let's see if... Hello. Hey, Andy. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you? Great. Did you uh, finish leading worship, or did you walk away and leave them hanging? Uh, no, the service is over with. Okay, good. Cool. All right. Well, um, everybody can hear you right now, so be careful what you say. <laughs> but, um, man, so far things have gone great. I appreciate the, the stuff that, that you recorded and, and shared. And, um we just wanted to open it up with you on the phone to see if anybody's got any questions, anything that kind of got their attention. And so anybody have a question, anything that you'd like to, cause I know you've got plenty to say, Andy. So I know you won't be a little lost for words, but Okay. Um, what would you say to teenagers who may come up against this kind of stuff, racial uh, issues, racism? Uh, what would you tell them? What are a couple things maybe they could do, like if they face it in their school or they, they have it, you know, in their lives? What, what would you say to that? Oh, yeah. Um, I think it kind of depends on, like, the background. Um, so, I'll give myself, I wish I would have learn more about not only like black history, but also just current black issues. Um, it's much easier to get people off of you uh, whenever you kind of know what you're talking about, opposed to just arguing back and forth with people. Um, so like if I would have had facts about why different things were the way they were, or being able to call out why stereotypes exist and kind of uh, nip it in the bud at that point, uh, 
I, I really I really think a lot of those issues would have gone away. Because if you can make bigoted people, I guess, look and feel stupid without <laughs> saying that they're stupid, uh, then it kind of makes your life a little easier. In terms of like what you can do as like a white person, I think the biggest thing white kids can do is always uh, just call it out and just make it known that like in their circle and around them, it's any amount of it is not welcome. Um, and I think if you exclude bigotry from your circle, uh, you kind of put it in its own little small enclave, which is what we want anyway. Hmm. That's awesome. Thank you, sir. What else? Yeah. What personal experience have you had? Like, have you faced um, racism from law enforcement, from, you know, friends, people at school, that kind of thing? Oh, oh yeah. Um, police. Uh, there's, there's definitely been a few occasions. Um, yeah, there's, there's been a, quite a few. Uh, friends, I, I tell people, um, and it's and it's no, like I'm not exaggerating at all. Like when I was called uh, the N word and like every epithet you can think of, every day of my life in school. Um, maybe not necessarily from the same individuals, but from somewhere it came. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that's I think that's one of the things people get mistaken get mistaken with when it comes to racism is that it may not be one particular bit that's like super loud. It can be very small from a lot of different places. So, mm. but ultimately, yeah, uh, racism is a, what was a very uh, everyday thing growing up. Mm. And, and it's one of those things that uh, we as white people can never really know that. Sure. That is, uh, that is definitely the beauty of, um, of privilege in a way. Like, I, I, I don't, as I'm sure uh, it was left in the video, like privilege is not a, it's not a bad thing unless you either refuse to acknowledge it or you start to abuse it. Um, mm. But like part of the idea of, or part of the thing about white privilege <laughs> is the fact that like, you don't know. And that, that, that in and of itself isn't a bad thing, but once you realize you don't know is what you do afterward that hmm. is the issue possibly. Yeah. Anything else? Andy, I don't know if we have any other questions, but what to kind of help us close out before we go into our ministry time, what's, what is something that you would say to, uh, what's something you would say to us? I mean, cause, because, and, and I, I say this because in context of, um, we very much love you and are very Beautiful. thankful that you tolerate us. <laughs> and that you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a, a, we consider you a part of our church family. And so, you know, we want you to be able to speak into our lives and, and help us understand how to navigate this. 
And so what what would you say to us that could maybe encourage us or or help us to continue on this journey? Because it's, it's something that I want us as a church to know. You may not always see it or hear it, but it's always behind the scenes and underneath something we're striving to do. Right. And so while we may not be, because one of the things I'm very passionate about, it, and we talked about this um, a couple weeks ago when we filmed this, is we have to be careful that social issues don't overshadow the gospel. Right. But we can filter how we handle these things through the gospel. And so, you know, it may not always be heard, but it's always something we're striving for. So what, what is something that you would encourage us with and, and could challenge us with maybe? Yeah, um, I, I guess I should preface this by saying, um, like, I grew up in church like, my whole life. Um, and I, I can honestly say the culture that has been cultivated at Regions probably made me feel the most comfortable. In, in churches that I've ever been at, um, specifically in terms of like racial issues. Um, like that is a huge, huge thing for you as well. So I appreciate that. Um, I guess the, I guess the, the challenge uh, always keep in mind is that you can never know too much. Um, and if, if, if Things of issues of racism is something that like you want to talk about and want to fight against. You should you should learn things. You should try educating yourself on things. Uh, yeah, and I, I think I think that's the biggest one. Education is always the key um, to fighting issues, especially on on a systemic level, um, but also like. <laughs> you <laughs> you also don't want to be uh, the like overbearing group of white people that like make it like almost like a a white savior kind of idea I guess maybe of like when a black person walks in like make it obvious that like you are like free of racism and all like you don't want to be fake about it like you acknowledge it fine when it comes up but like and don't escape it but don't make that the thing. You know what I mean? I don't know if that made sense. Yeah. Yeah, it did. <clears throat> so. Yeah. Well, Andy, I thank you for allowing us to call and, and uh, take a little bit of your day. And um, thank you for being willing to be a part of the discussion. And um, we don't want it to stop here. We'd love to maybe have some times where we can get together and talk have you here in person and, and share, but I just appreciate your willing to help us learn a little bit more. So Absolutely. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Appreciate you, man. We love you. Have a safe trip back. All right. Yes, sir. All right. I love y'all. Hey, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Hey, you. would you guys give it up for him before he hangs up? Thanks, Andy. We'll talk to you soon, man. Yeah. See you, man. something in one of the videos as we close that I want this to kind of be hanging there and the band can come up. So we're going to, we're going to close things out. Um, he gives a quote. Um, he says uh, this, this uh, James Baldwin said, not everything is fixed by talking about it, but nothing is ever fixed by not talking about it. And that's one of the things that I think we need to constantly cultivate here is just to have an atmosphere and an environment where we're not afraid to talk about things.
one of the reasons why I think spiritually people don't receive the healing and the the uh, um, the application of the gospel to their lives. And one of the reasons why um, social issues are not addressed in the church and all that is because we're just afraid to talk about things. And if you look in the Gospels, Jesus was never afraid to talk to anyone. He was never afraid to talk about things. He was never afraid to just wade into it. And we might say, well, he was Jesus. Yeah, but we're following him. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to today's podcast. If you have any questions, you can email me at tracy at regenerationwv.com. You can go to our Facebook page for Make Life Interesting, the podcast. You can uh, contact us there. If you have some questions for Andy, we can connect you up with him. Whatever we can do, especially about today's topic, we would love to have some interaction with you. Love you guys. Talk to you soon.